Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Rain Wilson, and I played Dwight Kurt Schrute. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you will be listening to my conversation with Rain Wilson. Now, when we started shooting the show, um, Rain, he was the only person that I knew. I met Rain back in circa 1999. All right. I was living in Minneapolis and uh, I went to see a production at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. Now, you should know this. The Guthrie is a very, very big deal. It is the largest regional theater in the country. It puts on incredible shows, world-renowned, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Rain was starring uh, in a production of Philadelphia, Here I Come. And uh, I went to the show, and I have said this many times. Rain's performance in that show, it was the greatest performance that I ever saw on the Guthrie stage. It was brilliant. And so the show was over and I was like, I, I, I've got to meet this guy, Rain. This guy is brilliant. 
And so we got introduced, we met, and we became friends. And when I showed up to work on the first day of the office, there was rain. And I could not have been more delighted to see him. He is, oh, he's a special one. That's for sure. I am so excited for you to hear this interview. You are going to hear Rain in a way you have never heard him before. I love talking to him. You are going to love listening to him. So without further ado, here is Rain Wilson. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Oh, there he is. Hi, buddy. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. Oh, How are good you? to see you. Good. Good, good to see you. Yeah, yeah. Are you wet? Um, wait, that felt really inappropriate. <laughs> Why? Um, we have some salty nuts for you. I saw just a giant, like five pounds of salty nuts. Well, we understand that was requested. What? Salty nuts. There's nothing is requested. Wait, what does that mean? I don't know. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's do it. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm all yours for two hours. Really? It's so exciting. Is, are you excited? No. R why not? It's fun to see me. I'm excited to see you. Yes. That's that's what I that's, would put it. That's, that's where you're at. Put it. That's where I would be at. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about a lot of interesting I don't, things. I also am excited about talking about the office in terms of like some stuff that you don't normally hear. You yes. Know, like the the longer, more detailed stories of some of the intricacies of how stuff was arrived at and some of the choices that were made along the way and stuff like well, that. Well, that's what my goal is with you because yeah, you're yeah. a thoughtful person. Hmm. I'm going to try to do that. You're not going to get that from Creed. No, I know. Well, I think we've scheduled him for 22 minutes. Okay. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. What, yeah. what? So we're starting. We're rolling. Yeah, we're just we're just chatting. Good. What were you doing before the office? Um, before the office, well, going way way back before. So I did theater for about ten years in New York before I did any TV or film. So I really was a theater actor. So a lot of people ask, like, oh, were you in improv or were you in? Stand up or something like that, but I I didn't do anything. I'm similar to you. No, exactly. Yeah, theater theater person that kind of found that we were well suited to kind of comic character guys, right? Despite our ravishingly good looks. So yeah, so I came out to LA in '99 and then started doing commercial auditions and voiceover auditions and little guest spots on TV shows. I was on like Charmed and- You were. Yeah, and CSI and- I did CSI. You did CSI too? Yes. Were you- I was a furry. You like were- Like a guy who gets sexual gratification yeah. out of wearing a big yeah. furry suit. I was creepy guy in supermarket. I'm not kidding. Creepy guy in supermarket. I think I was dog. <laughs> I think literally <laughs> that's that perfect. Was, I think that was my role. That was perfect. Yeah. So I did a lot of that stuff and some pilots and I did some decent movie roles here and there. And um, what happened for me uh, that really led to the office is a lot of people think I kind of 
waltzed into to Dwight, but the big role that put me on the map was in Six Feet Under. So after a lot of slogging around the casting people, Libby Goldstein, um, they brought me in uh, multiple times to Six Feet Under. And finally, I got the role of Arthur, and I did ended up doing 13 episodes on that, right when HBO was heating up and that was kind of revolutionizing what we think of as television. You know, Sopranos, The Wire were on at the same time. It was Entourage and a lot of really amazing shows, including Six Feet Under. And uh, all of a sudden, I popped onto people's radar. Um, it was really incredible how that happened because that was one of those shows that everyone in LA watches. There's are the shows that people watch all across the country. They watch NCIS LA or something like that. And it's 50 million people will watch it, but no one in LA who are like tastemakers watch it. So this Six Feet Under was one of those kind of shows. And that's what put me on the map. And all of a sudden I was in kind of pretty high demand for movies and stuff. I know you won a SAG award for that. The ensemble, the ensemble, ensemble yeah. SAG award. Yeah, I, I might be the only person who has been part of winning an ensemble SAG award for both drama and comedy because I did it for Six Feet Under, and then twice we won. I think twice, twice. we won uh, for The Office. And now, so so you're in high demand. Yeah, and. Were you aware of the British version of The Office? I was. I was. So my friend Sam Catlin, he had heard about it and he had seen a couple episodes and somehow gotten some like British DVD or something like that and had like even like an English DVD player or something. Somehow had advanced copies and like you've got to see it. Groundbreaking. Amazing. And so we went over like on a special occasion, you've got to watch The Office. And we were blown away. So I was really, truly one of the first people to see it in the United States. It might have been one of the first couple thousand people to see it in the wow. United States. And just, we loved it. And then he would get his hands on a couple more episodes and we'd go back and have dinner and watch like two or three more episodes. So I loved it. And what happened was I got cast in a pilot with Janine Garofalo for ABC. Mark Marin was in it and um, Bob Odenkirk was in it. Okay. And this was this infamous pilot that, we did the table read, and they pulled the plug after the table read. So they had sets built. Wow. We had locations. We had a cast. We had plane tickets. We were flying out the next day, literally the next morning after the table read, start shooting, and uh, did the table read. It went terribly. But guess what? I still got paid. And that was the same pilot season as The Office? Kind of. The Office kind didn't really follow a pilot season when it was first casting. Right. So what happened was- Vernon Sanders, who's one of the um, executives at NBC. Executives, right. And I ran into him in the parking lot on the way to this infamous table read. And he's like, hey, we got good news. And I was like, what's that? He's like, we got the rights to make the American version of The Office. And I was like, outside, I was like, oh, great. And inside, I was like, motherfucker. God damn it. That fucking sucks. Because <laughs> I loved the British office so much. I didn't have an idea of like, even what the American office would be or what role I would play or, or anything like that. But I was just like inside, I was just kicking myself. Oh! And then the plug gets pulled on that. And then I call my people. And I'm like, hey, I hear about this uh, office. And they're like, yeah, well, there's a few months to go on that. So fortunately that uh, the space was opened and the door was open. The universe works in mysterious ways, Brian. That's right. It does. And so you eventually get a call. To go in and meet, correct? I was the first audition 
for the office. I have in my office at home framed the audition sheet of Allison Jones the first day of the auditions for the office. And I was number one on that list. So other people on the list are Jenna Fisher. You can find it. It's on my Instagram somewhere. It might even be in my book, in the in the photos included in my book, so you guys can find it. But uh, I think Adam Scott auditioned. I think there were um, a, there was a lot of great talent that auditioned. My story about that I'll share with you really quick was when Steve left. Allison Jones came to me. He had a little party, a little reception. She came and she goes, I was looking for stuff for Steve that I thought might be cool. She probably gave that to you like when she was searching yeah. around. Uh-huh. And she hands me a sheet and it says, Kevin. And it says, Brian Baumgartner, Eric Stone Street, and Jorge <laughs> Garcia. No kidding. So that was like the final three. But Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you. And- Although Eric Stone Street is way richer than you. He is now. I know. Yeah, he Sorry. Shoot. Sorry. So, yeah. So on that first audition, I auditioned for both Michael and Dwight, and my Michael was just terrible. It was just simply a Ricky Gervais impersonation, and I knew that I had more of an affinity for the Dwight role, uh, and I knew that I could really deliver on that. I just felt it in my bones. I'm like, oh, this is me. This is this is exactly my kind of weird. Yeah. Well, that I mean, you're – but you were so different also than Gareth. In the yeah, British version, yeah. I mean, he was much McKenzie more Crook, yeah. weaselly and and yeah. Dwight way more authoritarian and trying to derive power, whereas Gareth seemed more backstabby. Yeah, we're different in a lot of ways and similar in a lot of ways, and it was this incredible luxury to go. Okay, here's Mackenzie Crook, this brilliant actor, really strange looking dude, and he killed as Gareth. And was so interesting. And I get to steal all of his best stuff. And then there's maybe stuff that I can add that's more my own. So it's win-win all around. So one of the things that Dwight is most known for is saying absolutely ludicrous, preposterous stuff with a total straight face and a deadpan without any knowledge that what he's saying is ridiculous. And really, Mackenzie did that so beautifully. And I I really just, frankly, stole that from him. Another thing I stole from him was the haircut. Um, I read an interview with him where he said he went to like just a local barber shop out in like Slough or some, you know, suburb of London. And he kind of got the haircut that would be the least flattering for his head and the most ridiculous haircut. <laughs> and I read that. I was like, oh, I want to do that. So I spent time in the mirror figuring out What's the haircut that is going to make me look the most ridiculous? I have a huge forehead. And I was like, I'm going to frame my forehead perfectly with these little draperies of hair that will highlight the enormity of my carapace. Is that a word? I think it is a word. I think it's a Um, word. These guys aren't even listening. No. Um, And then like really short on the sides and then intense. And then it evolved over time. But Interesting. Now, so we're not going to talk too much more about the audition process, but at what point did you meet John and Jenna and Steve in the callback sessions? Yeah, so the callback sessions were months later, mostly for for those listeners who don't know. The way pilot season used to work, at least, it's less and less so, but all the scripts would start getting released in December, January, 
and the, all the auditions were, this is called pilot season, January, February. They'd shoot in like March, early April. Decisions would be made in late April or May about staffing up for the summer and if something was going to be on the air in September. So it was always a very narrow kind of window. It's like this, this is how this nine-month window worked. So the office was outside of those bounds a little bit. I think my first audition was like in September or October, and then the callback was like December, and then we shot in like February or something like that. So I had to wait months after that first audition, and they had a um, callback situation where they brought everyone and their mother in, anyone they were considering for the role, over a weekend. And Greg was incredibly thorough. And I spent, I maybe I spent seven or eight hours on the, one, the first day there. And I, I met Jenna. I met John. Um, Steve was shooting some other stuff, but he had a little bit of time. And we improvised together and did a couple scenes together. We were given scene. Oh, here, try this scene. Try this scene. Not much time to prepare stuff we'd never seen. And just like, just just shoot it, you know? And then we'd improvise, you know? Like Jim brings Dwight a glass of water and it's like, just improvise Jim bringing you a glass of water. And Dwight is immediately distrustful. Like, has he poisoned it or something like that? And and that was not really my gig. I didn't do, you know, Upright Citizens Brigade or Groundlings. I wasn't really an improv guy, but I'm good at improving kind of in character. In fact, later after I was cast, Greg came to me and we had a coffee and he gave me kind of a little bit of a warning talk. And it kind of scared me. Like, essentially, he said in a very diplomatic way, you improvise better than you act when you're on the script. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it was more, it's more natural. It's more, when you're doing scripted stuff, it feels a little heavy and a little forced. And I was like, and this was before we were going to shoot the pilot. So I begged my manager, I was like, I want to see the audition tapes. I want to see my audition tapes. And sure enough, he was right. Because some, somehow when I improvised, it was just a little looser, it was a little more off the cuff, it was a little weirder. When I was doing scripted stuff, it, I don't want to say it sounded like a theater actor or something like that, but it sounded a little more scripted. It didn't have that kind of documentary feel that the office had to have. And it was a really great learning experience. Like, oh, I need to just kind of let the script, let the script go, improvise around the script, let it be much lighter. That is fascinating. I did not know that yeah. story. But it, it kept me up at night. I was like, oh shit, what does that mean? I improvise, I'm a good improviser and a terrible, <laughs> terrible regular actor. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know. And I made the podcast. I made the podcast. And I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. Like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I, I want to talk about um, you creating the character of Dwight, how you went about that. Yeah. Like what elements you chose that, that you brought into Dwight. Yeah. H- how did you approach that? So um, I always say that in terms of like when people ask me about playing Dwight, I always say that I think my goal was to make Dwight very specific, you know, having, you know, Dwight have a pager, or stand a certain way, like – 
drive a certain way, sit in his chair a certain way, have certain attitudes about certain things that are very specified. Because no one had done like combination muscle car nerd. Right. You know, you, when you think about it, there's a lot of disparate elements that go into the creation of Dwight. Like heavy metal muscle car rarely equals Battlestar Galactica fan. And I do think this is true as an actor. And the more specific you make your character, it made him more human and then more relatable. Um, so muscle car, nerddom, heavy metal, you know, uh, Amish. Of course, Greg Daniels always said that the beat farmer thing was his grandparents, I think, were beat, literally beat farmers in Poland. And they, they grew beets, um, I think, like before the Holocaust. And uh, so he, he, he put that in from that. I did not know that. Yeah. So the beet farm was from— Yes. And then the glasses, which, by the way— I really do think that Dwight has influenced popular culture because now all the hipsters wear the Dwight glasses. You were the first hipster. Yeah, I really was. I was like the hipster nerd who took those glasses and and now everyone who goes to Intelligentsia Coffee and Silver Lake or Brooklyn uh, are wearing those same glasses. Right. Yeah. Um, Free commercial for Intelligentsia Coffee. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take my <laughs> gift card, please. Um, was there anything for you as a theater actor like myself? It's a loaded question. Was there anything physically, any physical manifestation of Dwight within Rain? That's a great question. And yes, there was. And I've never really talked about this before, but I went to theater school. I was an NYU grad program, did a lot of like clowning and did a lot of a lot of physical work and physical theater. You were involved in physical theater in Minneapolis. And I'm not trying to sound pretentious at all, like, oh, Mr. Theater, but when you get that kind of training, a lot of it is physical. Like, how do you find a character in your body? You know, that's part of clown work as well. But there were certain elements of Dwight that if I needed to kind of get into character, I could just put my attention, put my focus in certain parts of my body, and I would immediately be Dwight. Like, a really, like, a straight neck, you know, and uh, kind of hips forward and kind of thinking about, like, like, big hips. Like, I don't know if you notice that Dwight always stands too close to people. If someone's sitting down and he's standing next to him, like his hips are like really like big next to their face, kind of. And there's kind of a ramrod neck, a little bit of a swagger and the shoulders thrown back. Those were some of the elements of Dwight that if I was ever feeling like, ah, do I really have him early on? You know, after you do two seasons, you can just do the character in your sleep. But, but early on, there were some of those physical choices that really were like clown kind of choices that I could go to, to just help me get into the world. Right. What about you for Kevin? Did you have some for Kevin? Uh, two. I mean, two that I can articulate. I'm sure there were more for me. It was my jaw. I knew there was a specific place that I could put my jaw that was him. And also I imagined him. For the jaw thing, you had a weird mouth. You would make like a little mouth like this. So it's like a it's little, just a little yeah. jutting it it's forward a little, little bit uh -huh. and your lips would be a little, uh -huh. a little like pursed. Yeah, exactly. And also I had the ideas as he moved through the space, there were two things. One is he wasn't aware of his size within the space, mm -hmm. right? Which to me was always hilarious when I would come against Angela, right? Because I just wouldn't see her there <laughs> and knock her around. And the other was that there was something about my torso that it doesn't move agilely from side to side. It's all sort of just all connected. Yeah. 
yeah. um, down at my hips and that there's, yeah, those are the Oh, yeah, yeah. So the whole body turns at the same the time. Whole You're body not able turns to just, like swivel time. easily. It's no, like, and maybe even shuffle my feet to turn yeah, to one yeah, direction if I need that's to. That's great. Um, Hold on. One second. That is not urine. That is water. Speak for yourself. Um, why do people love Dwight? Well, we talked earlier about the specificity of Dwight, and I think that how his glasses are and how his beeper is and the, the certain colors that he wears and the car he drives and how he sees the world. Um, but, you know, I, the thing I hate the most about comedy, and I have been known to tiptoe into this land, but the thing I hate the most about it is when the, someone knows that they're being funny. And that's one of the, I think, keys to the comedy of The Office is that none of the characters thought of themselves as being funny. I think the documentary element helped with that tremendously. And I tried to play Dwight as outrageously as possible and as grounded and realistic as possible at the same time. So look at any scene and what's happening, as, no matter how ridiculous it is, you can always tell there's a child, there's a big kid in there. Yeah, He could do just preposterous things, but I always tried to motivate them internally with some internal drive. Like, this is how Dwight saw the world. This is how you always knew how Dwight felt. I, I would guess that would be my number one answer is like, you can always tell what Dwight is feeling and what he's going through on the inside. And he thinks he's hiding. You know, people think, oh, is he, you know, is he... Is he on the spectrum? Does he have autism or something like that? But his heart is on his sleeve. You can always see what he's feeling, you know, is even if he's being haughty or even if he's being arrogant, like you always see what's going on in the inside. And I think that that allowed people to relate to him. So in those moments when Dwight was sad or hurt or, or put off or disappointed, like people really felt for him. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer, Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know, and I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast, and I think you guys were along for the ride. Oh. Each week, we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood cesp- uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak. Adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. What were your initial thoughts of the pilot when you first saw it? Um, Were you proud of it? I thought the pilot, I think if you look at all of our episodes, uh, the pilot's one of the weakest, I think. It feels a little labored. It's not as funny as when we find our own voice in a few episodes, the healthcare and basketball episodes, a few ones later on. Um, I liked it a lot, but because I knew the British office so well, I I just felt like, oh, this is, this is feeling a little bit like a paler imitation of the British office. I I wasn't the hugest fan, but at the same time, I really knew the potential of the show that we had. Right. Um, So going back and watching some of the stuff. I want to say too, and this story has been told before, but that first season for you listeners out there who don't understand this, like we did six episodes. That's never done. No one does six episodes of a first season, especially back in those days of network television. Network television only makes money when they hit hit syndications and they have to have over 100 episodes and they want to shoot as many as possible. So it was really weird that 
they like found some money in the budget to kind of shoot six under the radar episodes of The Office. But I mean, we barely hung on for the first year and a half, and and then we were a, you know a moderate hit for a while, and then we were kind of fading. You're so fired, whoever that was. Fired. So fucking fired. You were right. You were God. I hit you with my five pounds of mixed nuts. So who would have ever thunk that 15 years after shooting the pilot, this is when we're having this conversation, the office would be bigger than ever. 200 episodes, you know, defining roles for for all of us. Do you remember after we shot the first six episodes of season two? You and Steve and I were sitting in Steve's trailer, and Steve said, well, at least we got to do 12. Mm. And we thought we were done. Yeah. And wasn't the next order for like- Four? Two, yeah. And then there was four, and then like one, like, hey, we're doing four. Hey, they ordered one more. <laughs> like, it was like, it was just like, just dribs and drabs. And this is just not done in that world of network television. Exactly. Yes. What I remember is six, four, two, one, seven. And then they said, okay, you can do 22. And then a week later, we got a third season. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, we're rolling. Yeah, we're off to the races. And um, NBC hung that big bulletin board up. No, excuse me. What's it called? A billboard over by its offices with the office on it. Like from out of nowhere, all of a sudden, we were like their prized new show. And we were going from like almost canceled to, because the numbers just started to shoot up dramatically and the interest in the show started to shoot up dramatically. Why? Um, I mean, there was 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yes, that certainly contributed to it. My Name is Earl. We followed My Name is Earl, which had much stronger numbers right out of the gate and really helped us. And I talk about this in my book, but- what happened around that Christmas time was that the first video iPods came out and they were preloaded with the office Christmas episode on it. So basically all of the, you talk about like influencers, like I view it as like who got video iPods for Christmas the first year they came out, the rich kids. So all the rich kids around America all of a sudden had an office episode and it was young people with their iPods who knew how to set up an iTunes account because their parents didn't. And that was the amazing thing. And I don't think, I think that blindsided everybody, including NBC, that we would be so popular with young people. Right. Um, iTunes, the video iPod, technology. I mean, the show, were you on MySpace? Were you one of those? Very briefly, like for like two and a half months. Okay. Because that was Jenna and myself and Angela and yeah. BJ really used MySpace in that first season, season and a half when we were trying to cultivate viewers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So we were the kind of the first show that went hand in hand with technology and social media. Yes. And then you became kind of king of Twitter. That was later, but yeah, 2009, early on in Twitter, I joined early because I was founding the company Soul Pancake and they kind of insisted that I do it. And young people, young nerdy people that were starting out on Twitter and comedy people, um, I was like the big cheese for the first like nine months of Twitter. There were hardly any bigger celebrities than me. So I immediately like had a million followers uh, on, on Twitter early on. Yeah. What, um, 
so the cold opens, the show kind of started finding itself and also finding its form. Yep. Right. Like having the cold opens that mm-hmm. were separate from, uh, the regular episodes. Right. What do you feel like those allowed us to do? Well, I think they discovered early on, uh, Greg is one of the people I've worked with the, the most who has this ability to ride this line of like real instinct. Like he'll just throw something out, like try this. I think that'll be really funny and it's weird and it's out there and it's not related to anything, but also like really almost Spock like precision about like what works about characters and what works about storylines. And one of the things they realized early on is that like, you know, Jim pranking Dwight, which the British show started obviously, but audiences loved that. So that was a really great way to have cold opens. They weren't all pranks, but a lot of them were pranks and the audience just loved them. I still, to this day, I'm like, what's your favorite prank? When he did this prank, when he did that prank, do you guys prank each other? I always get that. Like, do you prank each other backstage? It's like, no, we don't. It takes too much work and effort to prank someone. You have to plan it and think it through we were just there shooting a tv show like what am i gonna totally you know the only thing that i could think was and it happened like eight times i remember there was a period probably when the computer started working where we had we could send ims to each other so it would be like what are you doing like while while someone was doing a scene like that's kind of the only thing i could think like yeah yeah but so i think the cold opens really helped hook an audience in. Remember, this was this is not streaming. You're going to have a commercial between My Name is Earl and The Office is going to start. You got to hook them. You got that 90 seconds, two minutes. You want them to sit through the commercials that come right after that and stick with the show. So I think Greg was really canny about that too. Kind of like, we got to hook them in. And those things became swiftly kind of one of the strongest aspects of the show. Well, and one of the other things that happened, which was a purely business decision, right? I don't know if you remember this. This was when the DVR, you would set the DVR to record from 9 to 9.30, right? Mm -hmm. And then we started showing up at 8.59. So if you had not set it to start earlier, right, you would miss it. So you would need to tune in earlier, which Mm. means if you were watching another channel, you'd have to turn over to NBC before nine o'clock and that changed the whole ratings thing. And then the supersized episodes and all of those things. I, I, you know, speaking of the length of the episodes, we did a lot of episodes that were double episodes and we did a lot of episodes that were just longer episodes. Yes. But I always felt, and I wonder if Greg would do this at some point in time. I don't know if there's some vault that has all of the office material is that the first not the first cut but the rough cut that would get passed around for like notes that was too long the 24 25 26 minute cuts of episodes were always way better and i i wonder if they'll ever be in fact i think that would be a really smart money making scheme is to re-release kind of director's cuts of all the episodes and let them be 24 to 29 minutes long, but it was always just such a pain to like cut them down from like that 25 minute sweet spot to that 21 minute 40 second mark that they would have to be to air with the commercials. Yeah. Was there any story or anything that got cut out that you specifically remember regretting? I have one that I yelled at the editors about. I think there was a lot more with me and Ellie doing Dothraki 
early on for Game of Thrones. That was they they cut that almost down to almost nothing. And I remember being pissed. I was like, that was so funny. And they're like, we gotta lose stuff. Sorry, we gotta cut stuff. And because it was like the C story. So they're always gonna cut the C story. The A story is always gonna be like Michael and Jan and something. And the B story is like Dwight and Jim battling. And then the C story is gonna be like some smaller thing. And sometimes Dwight is in the A story, but a lot of times he's in the C story. And that's always the one that gets kind of cut to the bone. Right. What was your one? Mine was um, baby shower and Jan is having the baby. And um, Kevin asks her where she got her sperm donated from. And Jan says, it's a, it's a very, very exclusive place. You wouldn't know it. And Kevin says, the one behind the IHOP and the look on Steve's face and her face and the idea that Jan's baby might have, might been, have been Kevin's, Kevin's. Oh! was just pure comedy. Oh, that's hysterical. Just so fun. And they were like, yeah, we're not doing anything with that. Or like, what if that? Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, that's just so funny. That's funny. All right, we're going to stop there for now. I'm so sorry. We have to stop right in the middle. Hmm, That's what he said, I guess. Uh, Don't freak out because you are going to hear even more from Rain in a future episode. But I just, I had to leave you with that thought. The idea that Kevin may have been the father of Jan's baby. In fact, I'm quite convinced that he was, uh, that, that, that Kevin was the father of Astrid and he would have loved the name and giggled at it Uh, so think about that before we're back anyway thank you for listening you guys are the best I am so excited to have you with me on this journey and we'll see you next week for another episode of The Office Deep Dive The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton. And the episode is mixed by Seth Olansky. Special thanks to the amazing production crew who recorded these interviews with us. Joanna Sokolowski, Julia Smith, Benny Spiewak, Russell Wijaya, Margaret Borchert, Christian Bonaventura, Matthew Rosenfield, Alex Mobison, Lucy Savage, Judson Pickward, Jack Walden, Jonathan Mayer, Andrew Stephen, David Lincoln, and Saida Lee. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 